Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Hey, it's good to see you. I was uh, grateful to get away and uh, spend some time with Stephanie, which was wonderful. And we went down, uh, the family, uh, we had a wedding to go to in Oklahoma, which was a lot of fun. I do not miss the humidity. Um, But you know, (laughs) things happen, right? And I did this uh, uh, wedding, and, and I was a part of it. It was really sweet. The Allen family, some of you know that. John and Janet were down there. And uh, it was just a really sweet time. Well, about 10, well, maybe about 20 minutes before the service started. We're down in, the, it's an old, old church, old building. It was really cool, actually. But we were down in the basement, the guys and I, and so I was starting to tie my tie. Right? Have you ever done this, guys? You know, what a, you know how to tie a tie, right? And so I started to unbutton the, you know, the collar button, and I, it pulled off the button. Now, at that moment, you go, wait a minute, what's up with that? And so I quick took my shirt off and looked at the thing, and it had pulled right off the shirt. And I thought, wait a minute, wait, I know Mrs. Allen, I know she's got a needle and thread. So I, I went got the needle and thread, and I sewed that thing right back on. Yes, I did. (laughs) No thimble, no thimble, man. I almost killed myself a couple times, you know. But I fixed that problem. I fixed it. Folks, when we, we talk about some of these things, we're talking about spiritual things, and you know what? The truth of the matter is we can't fix it. We can't fix it. But guess who can Sin has devastated everything. I don't care if it's our own personal sin that we choose to enter into and that we actually participate in or that we're under the consequence of sin. And as a result of a fallen world, we suffer in some way, shape, or form as a result of this fallen world. Sin is the issue, and only the Lord Jesus Christ can fix it. That's the truth. How are we relying on the Lord to do that? How are we trying to fix things? How do we immediately step into something and try to accomplish it in a way that literally interferes with what God wants to do? What is it in your life that you're looking at saying that you can fix this or there's a problem that you're looking at and you're trying to get all kinds of different ideas and and, and opinions about what you ought to do in order to fix it, but you're not turning to the Lord because only the Lord is the one who's able to fix the problem. Everything that we go through, folks, when we talk about from a spiritual perspective, has been filtered through the Lord's hands. And the question is, how are we learning to walk by faith? How are we growing in Christ? How are we then turning around and encouraging one another in the midst of what they may be going through from our own experiences to trust the Lord, trust the Lord, walk with God? See, chapter 5 is a picture to us in Revelation of how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, alone is worthy to fix planet Earth, to fix human hearts, to fix the nations. Only He can fix it. Only He can fix it. The question is, (laughs) how are we walking by faith so that people recognize in us that we totally depend and trust on Him to do what He alone is capable of accomplishing? That's the question. Look at chapter 5, Revelation. 
Worthy is the lamb. My goodness, the word worthy is used all through this passage. Worthy, worthy, worthy. The Lord Jesus Christ alone, the lamb of God, is worthy. He's worthy. Three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, there's a unique request. And I love this because the Apostle John is having this vision. In chapter 4, we saw that he was called up into the heavens, into the very throne room of God. Part of the song that we just had the opportunity of singing is directly out of that passage in chapter 4. And some of that song is directly out of this passage in chapter 5. He sees this scroll. And there's a unique request But secondly, there's an unparalleled response. Only one is able to take the scroll out of the Father's hands because there's only one that's worthy to do so. And lastly, there's a universal recognition of this. And folks, (laughs) I don't know about you, but our day and age is an amazing moment, isn't it? The lie is that we're self-sufficient. The lie is that we can. The lie is that we need to do harder, do more, all this effort. The lie is that we can depend upon ourselves, and we can depend upon humanity in order to accomplish certain things. Why do you think the Antichrist is going to arise? What do you think the spirit of the Antichrist is all about? Government can fix this problem. No, it cannot. There's a universal recognition that the Lamb of God alone is worthy of praise. Let's look at this. Revelation 5, verses 1 through 2. He says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, which really translates a scroll, written inside and on the back, meaning it is totally filled up, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel, perhaps Gabriel, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Well, we have this introduction, we have this scroll, and here we have this crescendo moment because revelation is about the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that will be. And we're in this period of time talking about the things that will be. And John has been invited up in order to have a vision of the things that will be. The 24 elders are there. I believe they're representative of the church, which means the church is already there. They have crowns and they have garments, which means they've already been rewarded. But we also have the living creatures, which are the cherubim, who are before the Lord himself. And perhaps even through the faces that are given, reflect the personality of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the seven spirits, which indicate the spirit of God. We have this amazing throne room scene where all the universe begins to praise God because of what the Lamb alone is able to do, what he has done and what he therefore has the right to do. But we have this scroll that is introduced. It is filled up. It's written on front and back meaning it is complete. It is sealed with seven seals, giving the indication of its divine origin and that it is rightfully God's. In fact, it may be that that scroll is the title deed to this entire universe. It's introduced, and the question, the request in effect is given, who's worthy? to open this scroll and to break its seals. 
That ought to give us pause, folks. That ought to give us pause. Because there is something of a divine judgment here. There is something about what God is about to do. There is something that is about to take place that we are looking forward towards with regard to these seven seals that are going to be unraveled in terms of judgment being brought upon this earth because of sin. Only the Lamb has the right to deal with this. The scroll contains the entire series of judgments within the tribulation. There's the seals as they are opened. There's the seventh seal, which contains the seven trumpets. And there's the seventh trumpet, which contains the seven bowls. Each seal, beginning in chapter 6, is first and foremost from God. It is part of his wrath, part of his Judgment. The fact that these seals are being opened by the Lamb of God and only the Lamb of God himself is able to unravel the scrolls indicate that this is divine wrath, divine judgment. Everything that is going to take place now is divinely ordained of God as judgment upon this earth. It is from him and it is his decision. It is what he has chosen to do regarding the sin that has beset his creation. It is not from man. It is not man-made. It is not simply natural in that they are not simply natural disasters. These are divine judgments of God, regardless of whether he uses natural judgments in order to accomplish his purpose. It doesn't matter. They are from him and he alone. I like what John MacArthur says on this. Each of the scrolls, seven seals, represent a specific divine judgment that will be poured out sequentially, in order, on the earth. The seals encompass the entire tribulation, ending with the return of Christ. Wow. This is no inconsequential request question that is being offered up. Who is worthy to break these seals? Who is worthy? As I said, the scroll also appears to be perhaps a title deed for all that is rightfully belonging to the Lord. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, the psalmist writes this, Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Or Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So the scroll is representative of the judgments that God is about to bring upon his creation. And this scroll is perhaps a title deed. And when the lamb reaches out and takes that scroll, he alone is worthy to take it and open it and enact what has been written in it. Wow, folks, we serve a really amazing God. We serve an amazing God. What problems do you have today that are over your head, but they are still under his feet? 
And how are we praising him even in the midst of the difficulties, even in the midst of the the circumstances that we didn't plan for, that we tripped and fell into, but in the midst of it, we recognize it's been filtered through the Lord's hands first and foremost, that he's growing us, that he wants to teach us to depend upon him, to walk by faith, persuaded fully that he's able and alone able to accomplish in and through our lives his work of grace. That's the question. It's sometimes easy to praise the Lord when everything's going well. But when suddenly something doesn't go the way we thought it should go, all of a sudden, that's where the rubber starts to really hit the road, doesn't it? And at that moment, we've got to ask ourselves some very significant questions. We've got to ask ourselves, who's really in charge here? Who's in control? Well, there's a unique request. This offer is given out. In verses 3 and following, we're given an unparalleled response. He says, No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, this is the Apostle John, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Now, what? 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 Is that a lie? (laughs) No, I, I think this is like dramatic moment. You know what I'm saying? You catch it? It's like there's this crescendo moment. It's kind of like the angel, the strong angel, perhaps Gabriel, comes out and says, who's worthy to break these seals? And there's this hush, there's this silence, because everybody knows that they're not worthy. And no one is found in heaven and on earth or under the earth who's worthy to be able to open the book, or even to look into it. And John begins to weep. Now, why would John weep over this? I mean, think about it. It might be a natural reaction. Maybe he was overwhelmed. Nobody seems to be able to open this thing. He doesn't have yet the information. He hasn't been given what's actually in the scroll. So why, why would he begin to weep? Well, I think I think the picture here is pretty clear. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one worthy to open this scroll. If no one's found worthy to open it, what's the indication? The indication, I believe, is that the entire universe, all of humanity, all this curse of sin cannot be fixed. It will never be made right. It'll never change. We'll always be stuck We're always going to be dealing with sin in our lives. We're always going to be dealing with it, whether it's an intentional issue that I chose to sin, and as a result, the consequences that come from that, whether it's death, and as a result of sin, death has come in, and as a result of that, i got to face death, or whether it's all of creation groaning for the longing of the redemption of the sons of God. Whatever way you want to look at it, the fact of the matter is the scroll is representative of something that is absolutely essential to fixing the problem of mankind, which is sin, and if there's nobody found to deal with this scroll, then we are lost forever. And John begins to weep. Oh, folks, do we realize the hope, the answer that we have in Christ Jesus? Begins to weep greatly. I like what Warren Wiersbe says about this. He says, no wonder John wept, 
For he realized that God's glorious redemption plan for mankind could never be completed until the scroll was opened. (laughs) The Lord is our kinsman redeemer. This is an interesting angle at this. Think about this. The Lord, who is the lamb, is able to redeem. Many of us have experienced that. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased. How? By our works? Absolutely not. By the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he went to the cross for us, he shed his blood in order that we might have forgiveness of sin. When does that take place? When we believe. When we believe. And at that particular moment, the promise that comes with it is unequivocal, that we will have eternal life. We'll be forgiven. We're immediately children of the King. We're immediately citizens of God. All that God has is now ours immediately upon believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this, we talk about a kinsman redeemer. Remember Ruth and Boaz? Remember the whole story? And I won't take time to go through all that, but there's this beautiful picture of a kinsman redeemer and that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Why? Because he became flesh so that he's able to be our kinsman redeemer. He had to come to this earth and become one of us in the likeness of who we are. Remember, there's a significant difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and every one of us here, and that is that he had no sin. No sin. But he came, even under the consequence of sin, in order to go to the cross, and he's able, because he became flesh, to be our kinsman redeemer. Secondly, he loves us, and he willingly chose to go to the cross for us. You can't be a kinsman redeemer if you aren't willing to do something for the individual to redeem them. The Lord is willing. And he went to the cross willingly. Lastly, he went to the cross and he died so that he could pay for our sin so that we could be redeemed. When does that take place? When we believe. When we believe. It's there. It's available. It's offered freely We have to accept it. We have to receive it. We have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our kinsman redeemer. See, when there's no one found to open the scroll, then that which God has put into place, the redemption of the entire universe and the opportunity for humanity to be redeemed and saved and rescued, forgiven of sin, is offered, but it won't be completed unless one is found worthy. To open the scrolls. Open the scroll with the, the seals. Verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Wow. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The Father sitting on the throne. And we see the majesty described in chapter 4 at the very beginning with the rainbow and the appearance of Sardis and the stones, this glorious, majestic moment where God himself is on the throne and it's the Father. And the Lamb now comes to the Father and receives from the Father the scroll. He takes the scroll out of the Father's right hand. Why? Because as the elder said, stop weeping because the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book 
and its seven seals. Jesus is described in verse 5 as two things. Verse 6 is one. First of all, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The Lord's depicted as coming back like a lion of the tribe of Judah to bring judgment and claim what is rightfully his. He's the king. He's the king, folks. He has the right. He has the might to rule and to reign. Think about that. He has the right and the might to receive, to take the scroll and to open it, to bring judgment and to set all things in order. Genesis 49.10 says this about Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Wow. See, it was prophesied. King David was from the tribe of Judah, and the Lord Jesus Christ is from King David. The Lord Jesus Christ is from Judah, and the prophecy given is that the Lord Jesus Christ will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that he will rule all the peoples. Well, it's also given to us that he's the root of David. And the root of David refers to the fact that he's the Lord. He's the king. He has the right to rule and reign. Catch this. He's not just from David's line, speaking of his humanity, but he created David's line, speaking of his deity. Think about that. He's not just from David's line. He created David's line. Isaiah 11.10 says, Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. The root, the very essence. He's not only from the line of Jesse, from David. He also created it because he's the one who sustained it because it's his plan of redemption that he's going to accomplish. Well, third, in verse 6, it says, The lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven eyes. These are said to be the seven spirits of God. The lion, he's coming. He's going to bring judgment. The lamb is a picture of grace. A picture of grace. The seven horns may be regarding perfect power, which would be his omnipotence. That's the uh, theological word, if you really want to sound like you know what you're talking about regarding perfect power, omnipotence. Or the seven eyes, perfect wisdom, omniscience, he knows all things. Or the seven spirits, perfect presence, omnipresent, omnipresent. The seven spirits may be another reference to the spirit of God. I won't break fellowship over that. We can look at that and go, boy, all of that looks really good. But why is the lamb worthy to open the scroll because he has overcome. He has overcome. What did he overcome? What did he overcome? Death. (laughs) He overcame death. What's the resurrection all about? Why do we come on Easter? Because of the resurrection. Why do we celebrate every day the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he overcame death because he was able to defeat sin at the cross, because he shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness from sin, but he overcame death, and he now has risen. He's in heaven, 
And we too, because of what he did for us, can experience life, and not just any life, but life everlasting. John 1.29, I love this. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about that. He's the Lamb. The lion's coming for judgment. He's a lamb, a picture of grace. What did he do as the lamb? He's the sacrificial lamb. He went to the cross in order to shed his blood so that we might enjoy life and life everlasting. How did he overcome? He defeated our enemy, which is death. Why is death here? Because of sin. Sin has screwed it all up, folks. And only the Lord Jesus Christ himself is able to fix it. That's the issue. There's a unique request, an unparalleled response, but there's also a universal recognition. The praise of the Lamb by the living creatures and the 24 elders begins to take place. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures, that's the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. That word new means qualitatively, absolutely brand new, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Wow. The Lamb takes the scroll out of the right hand of the Father, stressing the importance of the moment. It's the, the picture of power, and He takes that scroll. He alone has overcome, He alone is worthy to do so. And when He does that, immediately, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, begin to worship. They begin to sing a new song. They begin to declare the worthiness of the Lamb to take the scroll because of what he has done, purchasing with his own blood men from all the nations who are to be a kingdom of priests and rulers of the earth. Why? Because sin screwed it up, and only the Lord Jesus Christ can fix it. It's his this universe belongs to him. Each and every one of us are created beings, and we belong to him. It's always amazing to me. We don't make Jesus Christ Lord. We confess that he is Lord because he's Lord whether we agree with that or not. That's the truth. I'd rather agree with it now because I can guarantee you there's coming a day where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. What? That Jesus Christ is what? That he's Lord. <laughs> And what we've got here in chapter 5 is a dynamic picture in the heavenlies, in the very throne room of God, of that very fact. The harps are instruments for worship. The prayers of the saints are said to be the bowls full of incense held by the 24 elders. Incense is a fragrant aroma before the Lord. When we pray, it's as if there's a fragrant aroma coming before the Lord. What a beautiful picture. Warren Wearsby says it this way, on earth he experienced humiliation and shame as sinners ridiculed and reviled him. Think about that. They laughed at his kingship and attired him in a mock robe, crown, and scepter, but all of that has changed now. Oh, has it ever. He has received all honor and glory. Well, it doesn't just stop with the 24 elders and the living creatures. It begins to be this crescendo of praise that begins to emanate throughout all of the heavenlies and even into the universe. Think about it, folks. 
That what we do here on a Sunday morning when we praise the Lord is just a little piece of all that is taking place throughout the entire universe with regard to the praise of the one true God. Verse 11 says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Wow, can you imagine this? I mean, can you imagine John watching this? He's weeping because nobody's found worthy to open the scroll. And then the elder comes in and says, no, no, the lamb is able to open that scroll because he alone has overcome and he alone is worthy. And when the lamb takes that scroll out of the father's hand, indicating that he's about to open it, he's about to bring judgment upon this earth. And because of sin, he's about to fix it all because he owns it. It's his. All of a sudden, heaven erupts with praise. Wow. If that doesn't get you flying today, I don't know what does. Listen, I don't know what problems you've got. I don't know what circumstances you're going through. But remember, God is in control. Period. Understand that. Know that. Recognize that. Live it. (laughs) I love what he goes on to say. Every created thing which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea. Did you catch that? Every created thing in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen, meaning let it be. Absolutely. It's correct. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Wow, we start right at the throne when the lamb takes the scroll from the father's hand and all of a sudden the living creatures and the 24 elders begin to worship and then it begins to go into the angels and thousands upon thousands and numbers so large that you couldn't even count how many angels. We know two-thirds are on our side, folks. One-third fell with Satan. They are done. They're done. And the two-thirds of the angels left in the heavenlies, the messengers sent to us who will inherit salvation when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? They begin to praise. And then it goes beyond even that. Then everything on earth and under the earth and in all of the universe begins to echo and magnify the praise of the Lamb of God. Wow. Folks, I don't know what you're going through, but anything over Our heads is under his feet. Sin has screwed this up, but he alone is able to fix it. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Are we living that? A parallel passage about the lamb is in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and following. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he says, I kept looking in the night vision. This is Daniel 
getting this vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he came up to the ancient of days, this is the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Remember Daniel's talking about all the kingdoms of the earth and the one kingdom that will remain forever, which is the divine kingdom, which is the kingdom of the Lamb, which is God's kingdom. He goes on, he says, that all the people's nations and many of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Wow. It's an everlasting kingdom in the millennium and then even after that into the ages to come. His kingdom will remain forever. The nations of the earth rage against the Lamb, folks. The nations of the earth think that they can fix everything, think that they own everything, think that they can control everything. That's how the Antichrist gets put into power. The truth of the matter is, is that the Lamb owns everything and that the Lamb controls everything, that only the Lamb can fix everything because he alone has overcome and has the right to do so. He owns it all. Ephesians 1.10 talks about the summing up of all things. He says, with a view to an administration, Paul's writing this, suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Wow. All in Christ, folks. All in the Lamb. All in the Lion. The one who's coming back to bring judgment, the one who alone has the right to take the scroll and open up these seals and begin the completion of the redemption that will finalize and end in the restoration of what is rightfully his. Again, quoting from Wearsby, sin is tearing everything apart, but in Christ... God will gather everything together in the culmination of the ages. Now catch this. We, believers, are a part of this great eternal program. We are a part of this great eternal program. Are we? First of all, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you believed in him for what he alone is able to accomplish, which is forgiveness of your sin, my sin? Have you been restored to the Father, not by works, not because you hope that it measures up somehow when you get to Peter at the front gate and you're able to say, well, look how many good works I did, and oh, I hope that, they, oh, I hope that they're heavier than, than those bad works that I've done. That's not it. What are you going to say to the Lord when he asks, why are you worthy to come in here? It's not because of us, folks. It's not because of my works. It's because of the blood of the Lamb, period. It's because of what he's done. Have you believed in him for that? And as believers, what a joy to know that eternity is absolute. We're assured of it. We're promised by God of it. And then, are we a part of the program? Are we walking with the Lord in such a way that our whole life 
is oriented around the worship of the Lamb. Whether it's our finances, whether it's our time, whether it's our mind and our thinking, our relationships, everything that we do is oriented around the worship of the Lamb. What does that look like? Well, we recognize God owns it all. So we recognize that everything's actually his. So when we use the word mine, immediately in our minds, we ought to recognize, well, Lord, it's really yours. My money. No, no, no. It's really yours, Lord. You may have a title deed to your house, but guess who really owns it? (laughs) What about your car? Do you really own that? I don't think so. I think the lamb does. Why? Because it's his. Because he has the right. Because he overcame. Because he shed his blood. Because the title deed of the universe is rightfully his. Sin's messed it all up. He alone is able to fix it. And that includes our thinking about stuff that is perishable. How are we living day by day, walking with the Lord? How are we growing in Christ? How, are, how is our life just oriented towards the worship of the Lamb? How are we joining in this amazing chorus of praise and worship, giving glory to the one who alone is deserving of it? How are we sharing that with other people? How are we sharing that with other people? Now, you can take it and make it into a program. Have you ever asked your waiter or waitress how you can pray for them? Have you done that? Don't, don't make it into a program. Don't make it into a rote thing that you just do because it's, you know, reflex. I'm just going to automatic. Pray and ask the Lord to give you wisdom as to what he wants you to do. And respond to the Spirit of God in it. It's amazing to watch. I don't know that I've ever had, I can't remember, ever one time asking a waiter or waitress when I've been prompted by the Spirit of God to do so, of them saying to me, oh, no, you're nuts. I I don't need prayer. Get out of my face. And by the way, you know, I'll get another waiter or waitress to come over here and serve you your food. Never once. And it's been amazing to listen to the requests for prayer. It's been amazing to watch the faces of people When you just take a little bit of time to respond to the Lord and you want to say, Lord, how do you want to use me as a vessel this day so that your life is revealed through mine? And you begin to say, okay, Lord, and he begins to lead you and guide you. And you ask, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I pray for you? What are you going through? (laughs) Oh, man, it's remarkable to watch. How are we sharing the gospel with others? Folks, there's never probably been a time in the history of mankind where the gospel is more necessary for the hope of people, the truth of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we participating in this program? Remember what Wearsby said, we are a part of this great eternal program, this plan of redemption where all things are summed up in Christ. How are we a part of that? How are we a part? Are we just living for ourselves? Everything's about us, what we're going to do, how we're going to go do this, how we're going to plan this out, we're going to spend our time this way or our money this way or whatever it may be. How are we going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm a part of your great plan of redemption. Whatever you choose to do in my life today, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Would you lead me and guide me? Would you grow me and transform me? And would you be revealed through me? Because this world needs the gospel. People need the Lord.
How are we doing that, folks? How are we walking in that? What's our attitude towards the Lord in this? I would suggest even this. Who are we mentoring? Who are we pouring our lives into? Maybe it's not a lost person. Maybe that person needs to come to know Christ, and God leads us to do that, and we share the gospel with them, praise the Lord. But then what do we do? How are we mentoring people? How are we coming alongside of one of the generations? How are you coming alongside of somebody and saying, you know what, let me put my arm around you, let me encourage you, let me help you. I'm a little further down the path than maybe you are, and let me, let me tell you about how great my king is and how sovereign he is, how good he is, how faithful he is. Let me encourage you in how to walk with him. The older we get, we don't check out. We begin to prayerfully consider how can we help the younger generations. And I want to tell you something, folks. There's never been a time ever where the younger generations are so desperate for that. Why? Because the family is breaking down in front of our eyes. They need people to come alongside of them and say, God's good, and he's good all the time. He's able. He's capable. He owns it all. He's the lamb. Follow him. Follow him. How are we doing that? How are we willing to do that? Folks, I can put it into all kinds of different ways. Bottom line, bottom line, does the Lord have our hearts does the Lord have our hearts? Sin has screwed it all up. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can fix it. And the question is, are our hearts yielded to him? The activity is just an outflow of our hearts. Our hearts are the issue. And are we dependent upon the Lord? Are we walking with the Lord in order to follow him, to grow in him, to be challenged by him, in order to experience him in the midst of life? Do we recognize that all things belong to him and him alone? And are our hearts fully his? That's the question. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 